You are listening to Healing Arts with Dr. Shelley Kerr. Visit me online at www.pastlifelady.com. Connect with me on YouTube at Past Life Lady or on my Facebook fan page at Past Life Lady. The Healing Arts Program is not intended as a substitute for consultation with a licensed medical or mental health professional. The listener should regularly consult a physician or mental health professional in matters relating to his or her health, and particularly with respect to any symptoms that may require diagnosis or medical attention. This program provides content related to educational, medical, and psychological topics. As such, listening to the program implies your acceptance of this disclaimer. Guess what? My new book. Past Lives in Ancient Lands and Other Worlds is coming out in October, and you can pre-order the book now. Do you want to learn about your past lives in Egypt, in Rome, in Greece, or did you fly around in a spaceship in another dimension, in another lifetime? You can explore all of this and more in my new book. So thanks in advance for pre-ordering. And we'll be talking more about past lives in ancient lands and other worlds in the coming weeks and months. Welcome to Healing Arts. I'm your host, Dr. Shelley Kerr. Hey there. How are you doing, my dear? What's happening? So I haven't checked in with you personally in a couple of weeks. And so I just wanted to check in and say hello. And I hope you're doing well. And for those of you who are listening in the United States, I hope you had a beautiful Thanksgiving holiday weekend. And of course, the holidays are underway for everybody now. So um, it's been very cold here. And I have been just very, very locked down. I haven't been out on Facebook in, I don't know, a month. I I don't know. Um, I've still been working on that big book that I've been mentioning. I did turn it in officially. um, Well, I turned it in officially months ago. And then this is, you know, kind of like a revision. I turned in on December 1st, but they've already informed me they'll be getting back to me because I'm sure I'm going to still be doing it. So I'm going to continue to be locked down until this thing is kind of finished. I do want to do some new classes and stuff. So stay tuned for that. I've been getting a lot of requests. Um, People want to have private sessions. I am not doing those right now. And what I really want to do are some offerings that are very similar to what I did with the Shift Network earlier this year, where we do several weeks together um, on Zoom. And then I can give you the recordings. I want to do one This is an idea I've had to just do one that's kind of like a private session, although you're with a group, and we're just going to take you through several regressions, and then I have a huge um, 
demand and request to do a bunch of genealogical regressions. And so I'm probably going to start advertising and getting these underway in January. Um, I am going to be a speaker at the Shift Network Ancestral Healing Summit, which I'm very excited about that. That is coming up the end of January. I will have the link. It is always free for you to participate in these summits. They're incredible. I really want you to listen to this this year because um, my friend Lisa Benice, she's the host and her and I have a conversation. She told me the most incredible story about something that happened to one of my students in my shift network class. I don't want to spoil the surprise. It was one of the most amazing stories about the potential of genealogical regressions and healing in general that I've ever heard. I I couldn't believe it. I was in shock. So I hope you'll listen to that. I will be reminding you about that in the coming weeks. And the other thing I'm thinking about today, we're almost to 2023. Okay. I started this show in 2020. The other thing that's been weird that I think I am not the only person going through this is that in 2020, obviously, I started this around the beginning of May. Everybody was just now learning that we weren't going to get to go anywhere. We were going to be locked in our houses. And so, you know, I did a lot of classes. It was pretty easy for me to do a podcast then, right? Because I don't have to drive anywhere other than to the to-go line at Starbucks (laughs) or something like that. And so it was really easy because you you know, you're just home all the time. It's been very challenging for me. And I'm sure it's been challenging for you also, as we're, we're getting out there. So half the time we need to be out there, but some people still want to do a lot of things online. Um, It's been more challenging to book guests because they're going through the same thing I'm going through. It's just, it's hard to navigate when we're trying to be in two places at once, I think. Anyway, what's interesting also that I was thinking about this morning During that time when we were locked down, I was teaching a lot of classes. So one day I thought it would be fun for this group to do like a psychic thing where I guided everybody on this guided journey and we decided to go out into the future. And the question was, when are we going to start getting back to going out in public and being normal again? And as I've been trying to tell you for, you know, literally years now, ever since we started this podcast you know, you may be way more psychic than I am. You know, everybody's got different gifts and I've got some really psychic people who come to my classes. And so collectively, it was really weird because a lot of them said, well, we're not going to get out until 2023. And they were so clear about it. And I was just like, oh man, you know, I did not want to hear that. Um, But you know how sometimes you hear things And even when you don't want to believe them or think about them, you know that it's the truth. And I just felt the validity in what they were saying. And obviously it is so weird that it's now December and we're getting ready to go into 2023. And I, you know, now I really can see, oh my gosh, this year has been really weird to me. I don't think we've been fully out yet. And uh, I think next year really is it. I've got some events planned, but not until later in 2023. One of the really cool events that's live is going to be, I'm going to the Omega Institute for a huge seminar with uh, myself and Anita Morjani and John Holland. He's an excellent psychic medium. So that's going to be really a big one. 
Um, that's coming up in September though. I mean, that feels like a long time from now, but you know how time flies. So that'll be coming up. And then I feel like some of the things that got canceled in 2020, um, those are probably going to be rescheduled, but I'm still in discussions with different people. So I'll be letting you know, I think everybody's still a little bit tentative about getting this party started too soon because organizations need people to actually show up. And I think 2022 has been a year where some people have decided they do like staying home in their pajamas and they don't really want to go anywhere. But now I think we're finally starting to get sick of that, I hope. So, you know, maybe 2023 will will be the year that we finally get out there. I don't know. I hope so. So anyway, babble, babble, babble. I just thought I'd bring that up. So um, anyway, I I want to do maybe a book signing in December. I might think about that. I have some books here where we would get together on Zoom and then I can sign them and I'll have to put them in the mail. In the United States, we have a lot of people who listen to this show overseas. Um, our postal service hasn't always been the best lately. I don't know what happened to it, but I, I, I don't know how I would send the stuff out, though. This is always a, a challenge for me mentally as I'm trying to think about how I would do that. But I am thinking about things like that and other things that we can do together. And, um, of course, today we're going to listen to part two of my discussion with my dear friend, Janice Susan Patterson. She is so funny. I mean, you can sense when you listen to her, or if you go out to YouTube, you can watch this interview, of course. She is hilarious. Um, one thing I love about Susan is Susan has the most amazing stories. They're so amazing that I think a lot of people don't realize that the things she's saying are true. Um, these things really did happen. But I think sometimes people don't realize that because it's just so amazing. I, I have stories like that as well. I tell people things that happen to me when traveling and people go, well, surely she must have made that up, but I didn't. And so that's one of the things I love about Susan. She is um, wonderful and she's going to tell us more about this trip that her and her husband took to Egypt. That's another thing, speaking of 2020, you know, I, I haven't been back to Egypt since the year 2000. So We'll see how all of that stuff unfolds as these coming years um, arrive and stuff like that. But what I'm hoping is 2023 will be our year. And so I hope that you had a wonderful Thanksgiving. I hope all of you around the world have a beautiful holiday season, a wonderful Christmas, Hanukkah, etc. Um it's a busy time. It's an exciting time. I still have high hopes for the future that no matter how many problems we have in this world, we're working through them. We're ironing them out. And so I just try to remain as optimistic as possible. So with that, we're going to have a little transitional music and then you'll get to hear my interview with my friend Susan. So you have a wonderful day, dear one, and I will See you very soon. Next day, we go back to Amarna for some peculiar reason. Saw eight or ten tombs there, including the famous Stella U, 
all around uh, Armarna, there were boundary stelas saying, this is holy ground, don't cross if you worship any other god but the Aten. Uh, Stella U is the one that's usually seen, number one, because it's in the very good condition. And number two, it's the most easily accessible. Some of them you have to climb mountains, et cetera, et cetera. This one has a nice little staircase leading up to it. No, ban no banisters. Um, then we got to the Royal Tomb of Akhenaten. And you have to drive to it. It's a great big distance from everything. And you go up and there's modern construction over it. I don't know how they found it when it was not, you know, didn't have the modern superstructure. But you go in and you go downstairs, no banisters, but there are walls. And you go down like three flights and on each landing, there are little rooms. And it's so sad because there is beautiful bas-relief sculpture in there. <laughs> I mean, the Aten showing the little hands coming down on the ends of the rays. Wow. And everything has been defaced. I wow. mean, savagely chipped up. If it's a thing like a bush, they pretty much left it alone. But if it's a humanoid or a face, everything about Aten was chiseled out, period. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's just crunchy stuff there. Yeah. Um, the Aten itself was not that damaged because he was a god and they weren't going to play with a god. So you see the, the rays coming down with the little U-shaped hands. Wow. And as we were leaving, you know, the, there were two buses of us. We were a large tour. And luckily, we were each assigned a bus and we didn't get on the other bus. The, uh, and our guides were very assiduous about counting heads. And on the other bus, excuse me, my allergies are driving me absolutely nuts. So that's my excuse, and I stick with it. But on the other bus, we had waited and waited, and finally said, "Well, we're going to go on." So we left. Found out later that one somebody unnamed on the A bus didn't want tourists around when he was taking pictures. And that's one of the real sad things about tourism is that there's too damn many people around. Yeah. Uh, so he stayed back and was taking pictures and got locked in. He heard the big steel door three flights up go clang, clack. And people were leaving. So he immediately runs up and starts banging on the door and screaming, but nobody heard him. Oh Everybody's God. on the bus. Amir, the, the guide on the first bus, was counting heads, and he kept coming up short. He says, I'm going to go back and look. So he goes back and hears this, bang, let me out, let me out. So the guy with the, guide with the uh, keys had already left to go back to the office. They had to, since this was Middle Egypt, we had police escorts out the wazoo. So they had to send the police after him to go get him and bring him back with the keys so they could unlock the tomb and let the tourist out. Oh my gosh. I never did know who, who it was, but I can't blame if I did something that boneheaded. I wouldn't want people to know about it either. <laughs> no, it's probably better for safety. <laughs> so, uh, oh my anyway, gosh. After That's that, we went back and uh, we sailed to a suit. And we had another day at leisure, which was greatly needed because 
most of our uh, tourists were of the younger, I think we were the oldest ones there. And most of them were in early middle age. Uh, there weren't any kids along, like under 30, but most of them were between 30 and 50. And they were dying. I mean, just the heat and the walking. Yeah. Stairs. I was not the only one who evinced a distinct and utter hatred of stairs. <laughs> uh, the next day, we went to Abydos and saw the Osirion and the uh, King List. This is the mortuary temple of Seti I. And the King List is wildly inaccurate, but it was done according to the dictates of the time. Like if Seti didn't like them, they disappeared. Yeah. There was also the temple of Ramses II, where the famous Battle of Kadesh reliefs are. Uh, that was nifty. And they've, they've cleaned the ceiling in the main temple. And it is so beautiful. Wow. And one of our uh, number got heat stroke. <laughs> I mean, they had to wow. carry him to the bus. <laughs> then... Uh, yeah. afternoon tea and we went through the passage of the Nag Hammadi lock and I've been through locks before but usually at night when it's sleep when I've been sleeping this time it was in the afternoon and it's a fascinating procedure and much faster than I thought it would be I mean they open the uh floodgates the boat just goes or depending it took maybe 20 minutes and this is a big it's four-story boat. Yeah. Uh, on Thursday, we went to Cana, which uh, this is day 10, to the uh, Greco-Roman temple of Hathor. And I'll tell you, frankly, I do not like Greco-Roman Ptolemaic iconography. It is degraded. It is uncomfortable. It's ugly. It has none of the majesty of uh, it's the truly Egyptian art. It was very well done. It was interesting to see, but I don't like it. Then we went to uh, Luxor where we were going to end the trip. Let's see, this is day Thursday. This thing prints very strange. It's upside down and backwards. Um, okay, on Friday, uh, we go to the Dario Bari. A mortuary tomb of Hatshepsut, which is one of my very favorite pieces on earth. And it is, it is such a magical place. The first time I saw it in 92, you could only go to the second level. The third level was being reconstructed and nobody knew there was a fourth level. Now the fourth level is open and you can go up there. Hiram and I went up there on our last trip in 15. And it's, how do you talk about a place you love? The Hathor Chapel there is, and Hathor is not my favorite goddess, that's Isis, but her chapel there with wherever you stand, her face is looking down at you and she's smiling beneficently. And it must have been roofed in the old days. Now it's open to the sky, but it is, it's a magical place. It wow. truly is. And at the base, you can, go up to the first level either by a long, long, long ramp or that has little stairs in the side. And it 
one at one of the things coming down there is this huge bird that's as tall as i am and he's like a guardian he's welcome back good to see you welcome back of course he's stone he just stands there that's my fancy but that's what i feel like he's he's a gatekeeper yeah um i didn't go up to the top this time because it was incredibly hot and the heat was really getting to me uh, this is the only time we've been there this early and it is murderous absolutely murderous um i managed the guy didn't mention but i managed to tell some of our group that uh probably 50 yards before you get to the beginning of the ramp there are these two iron cages very beautiful iron cages in the ground and i pointed out that those were fossilized tree stumps of some of the trees of two of the trees that hot sheps brought from hunt in 1480 BC. They're still there. I mean, you don't have to know what you're looking at. Other you said, that's a dumb looking rock, but it's actually a tree stump. There's probably more around, but they're covered with stone and things. Um, hmm. Then we went to the Asasif tomb of Kureth, and I have no memory of that, none. It just passed, passed through, I guess. From there, we went to the Ramesseum, um, which I love. You know, you can't look at that giant head and not think of Shelley's Ozymandias. Right. And I wonder how he described it so accurately when he was never there. Photography had not been invented. Only thing I can think of is he got a hold of some of Napoleon's art from the description de l'Egypte, but my, my mouth isn't set for French this morning. But um, he, his words describe it totally. And to see that huge head just lying there, look on my work, she mighty in despair. There's a lesson there. Then um, hmm, from there, oh, we went to, uh, we saw the Sea People's Release, the Prince's Procession, and then on the way back to the boat, we saw the Colossi of Memnon, which the first time I was there in 92, these two huge battered statues are just sitting in a field nothing there's a little car park in front of them and then there's just yeah. acreage behind now uh Hurig's Rusian and until he died Rainier Stadelman have been working there I was hoping we'd see Hurig but it's the wrong season she'd be a fool to be out there now have done and dug and they've got all kinds of foundations and a practically a forest of recovered statuary and some the uh, temple behind them was at the time it was built the largest building in the known world. It was enormous. Wow. The statues are pretty, pretty battered, but mm -hmm. there's still a majesty with them. Uh, oh, I want to tell you at the museum, everybody walks in at the Cairo Museum, you know, back at the very first, 
they walk in the front door and they, they see these statues of, I think it's Amenhotep III and his wife T. And they look big. And you walk in and they get bigger, 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 <laughs> and bigger, until you realize that you're standing there and you're not as tall as his toe. Of course, they're on plinths, but you don't reach to his toe. Yeah. They are so enormous that they were put in place and the museum building was built around them in 1902. Wow. It's uh, they're taller than the, the, there's no third story, but if there were, they would be that tall. Because you go to the second story and you're at their shoulder level. They are magnificent. They're not only that, they're beautiful sculpture, but the, again, it's like everything else in Egypt, you want to feel insignificant, go see them in that third. Um, Okay, after that, the next day, Sunday, we went to the Valley of the Kings. And I mean, we were up at 530. And we were there by 730. The sky was already on broil. The place was already crowded because people were trying to meet the heat. Um, but you, you got there and you looked around, you didn't see that many people. But then you realized that everywhere there was any shade under a rock, the refreshment temple, the uh, little pergolas they have around, those were so packed with people, they were standing like this. Wow. Out in the middle, there were just a couple running around. Now, I've been there seven times. So I didn't make a rush for the tombs because you buy your ticket and that gives you right to enter three tombs, except for a few of the special ones. Seti the first was closed. Tut was open, but Tut, although Tut, everyone should see Tut once. Yes. I say that. That's, I agree. You know, that's part of our cultural heritage. Anybody who goes to see it twice is either an archaeologist or an idiot because it's boring. <laughs> Teeny tiny and boring. Um, I thought rather, it was cool. I mean, what? I don't know. I thought it was cool. I mean, it's just something to say, yeah, I did it. You yeah. Know. Yeah. I did it too. I wouldn't go to Egypt and not see it if at all possible. But it is, I mean, compare it to Seti the First, compare it well, to, to uh, Nefertari, right. which I, and I were lucky enough to see because it's open very seldom. We saw it in 2000 and you're supposed to have 15 minutes in there. We were the only ones there and the guard left us in there for over an hour. So, I mean, that was a magical trip. This one was too. Any trip to Egypt is magical. Some just have better perks than others. Yeah. But no, if any of your viewers get a chance to go, see Tut's tomb. It's worth the extra couple of bucks. Everybody should see it. It's like the pyramids. Everybody should see them once. Absolutely. If you go back. That's an individual choice, but it's it's part of our cultural heritage. So Hiram uh, uh, and I decided we wanted to go see Ramses the fourth and sixth. It's a combo tomb, father and grandson, I think. Excuse me, because it's one of our favorites and it's beautiful. So we went in there and came back out and we had another hour to kill. And he said, uh, what do you want to go see? I said, I want to go see the refreshment stand. 
<laughs> I don't want to walk around to another tomb because I've seen all the ones I want to see. Uh, I don't want to pay money to go see Tut. Right. I just want to have a cold drink and get in the shade. And he says, well, I'm going to go see Marin Patah. And I said, fine, bye. So off he goes. It's about two flights up of stone stairs that have no banisters. And it's a long, long, long tomb. So I went in and got a cold drink and talked to a lovely bunch of travel agents who were there on a fam trip. Mm. Saw a dress I wanted, but it was just too small. It would not quite fit. So I didn't get it. Actually, we bought we brought nothing home. No take backs, no nothing. I brought back three or four refrigerator magnets as take backs for very special people that I'd promised that it threatened me if I didn't bring him something from Egypt. Yeah. And I, at Karnak, I bought a little tiny purse because on the boat, I didn't want to carry my backpack going to dinner, but I wanted to carry my phone so in case I wanted to take a picture. I needed a handkerchief and my room key and I wanted a little tiny purse. I bought that. Whoopie doo. No other souvenirs, nothing. So anyway, we finally left the Valley of the Kings, went to the Valley of the Queens, which I think is a big bore. I would much rather have gone to the uh, West Valley and seen the Tomb of I again. I would love to see I again. And the West Valley is the closest thing I can think of on this earth to being on the moon. But mm -hmm. eh. then- So uh, you, you mentioned a lot about just how difficult it is to get around these ruins. I agree. So do you ever see anyone in wheelchairs or anything? Because they don't really do Actually, handicapped accessible, do they? Or do they? I have a story about that. Oh, good. I, I want to hear. Former landlady, uh, webmistress, and very dear friend, Jane Akshar, who is sadly gone now for about three years, lived in Luxor. And she had a number of physical problems and mobility was difficult for her and she had a little scooter you know one of these you know wheelchairs on steroids and she was appalled she also had an egyptology degree from manchester but she was appalled that there was no wheelchair access yeah. That there were very few places and she started a campaign i mean she worked with the ministry of the interior she worked with the ministry of antiquities she was you know pulling strings and beating people and it's it's not anything near what it should be mm -hmm. but you go to some of these places and there will be a little wheelchair icon on the sand, you know, on the sign saying, you know, this, this way, this, this way, wheelchair access and a wheel. And there's a hundred times more than there used to be. There okay. needs to be a thousand times more, but it's a start. Right. The first time I went to Egypt, you did stairs or you did nothing. And I'm still very fortunate. I can walk, but in certain places and on certain terrains I need a cane mm -hmm. and I kept thinking you know if there was just a ramp here they'd be so easy but in a lot of places there are ramps 
and that is due to Jane. That's fantastic. And because I, I think people forget, um, you know, how fortunate we are in our country that we do at least do our best. I mean, we still have a long way to go, but just to try to accommodate people, you know, right. and, and that doesn't happen overseas. Guess what? You know, there's very few places you can go in, say, Karnak that are not wheelchair accessible. Oh, OK. Very few. Some of the places in the back, you know, where the fanatics go like the old Hatshepsut temple and the Sakhmet uh, solarium. Those are not yes. wheelchair accessible yet, but they can get into the hypostyle hall. They can get into the temple. They can get into the green room. They can get so many more places that they could not before. Yeah, when I was there, because I've only been there the one time in 2000, but they didn't have any of that. So that's why I was just curious, you know, because uh, I, I thought it was very difficult. It would be for somebody. It's much better now. It is so okay. much better now. Uh, it's Good not as it should be, but it is so much better now. Um, and it's thanks to Jane and her health. God love her. Her health, she was a Brit expat. Her health got so bad that Egyptian medicine was not up to taking care of her. So she had to go back to Britain permanently. Mm. And she was there for, I think, three years, four years, and then she died. Mm. And she's over a decade younger than I am. So that says a lot. Wow. She, well, she, she made an impact if she helped with that challenge, because yes. that's, that's a big she one there. She left a legacy. And my, her her name does not appear anywhere i know about it because i was her friend and helping her when she was doing this helping her by encouraging her and looking stuff up for her not being active wow but, that's amazing but so how long was your trip in total two and a half weeks that is fantastic it was wonderful of course oh let me finish then we went oh. uh, what day are we up to now we're up to day 14 and that was that was the end of it we ate breakfast and went back and i'm counting two and a half weeks from leaving dallas to getting back to dallas the actual right. cruise was 14 days the uh i saw several things that in all my trips i've never seen before i missed several things that i love and that i've always seen before that you have to accept when you go to egypt you are not going to see everything just accept that as a given like the sun comes up in the morning yeah. i had a friend named mary derrick who lived over there for five or six years and uh finally her health made and the tahrir square uh riots of 11 made her move home and she was so upset she says but i haven't seen everything you will never see everything in egypt that's and even exactly if by right. some miracle you do, they're discovering new things all the time. Thank you. Yes, every day it's happening. Mm -hmm. It's pretty exciting, really, all the things they're doing. So, yeah. and living on the boat was incredible. I could learn to live like that. <laughs> Three incredible meals a day. And I mean, I like to eat. Who doesn't? But there were two six-foot buffets of nothing but desserts 
two six foot buffets of nothing but salads, two end tables of fruit and condiments like olives and green peppers and things like that. There were always at least three different kinds of meat, always at least three different kinds of vegetables, plus two kinds of soup. And one of the neatest things I learned is they had a potato, and I'm not a soup fan, especially in hot weather, but they had potato soup. I like potato soup, so I tried some, and the uh, little soup man said, do you want to try Egyptian style? I said, sure, why not? So he reached over and grabbed a half of a lime and squeezed the lime into my potato soup. And then it became Egyptian just by that action? Lime in potato soup? Okay, if you say so, it was delicious. Hey, we learned a new tip today. I will never eat potato soup without lime again. I don't know what it did to it because you really don't taste the lime as lime, but oh my God, it was good. Nice. In the morning, you'd have an omelet made to order. And what really got me was, you know, you go down the buffet line serving yourself and when you look like you're finished, they don't even let you carry your plate to your table. They carry your plate for you. That sounds great. Every day when our room was cleaned, we got a towel animal on our bed. And it was, you know, I've seen things like this before. We had an elephant about this tall and they put Hiram's uh, walking hat on it. So it looked like a jungle elephant. I didn't tell people on the tour that I was a mystery writer. I didn't want to scare them to death. Right. <laughs> people, get go, nervous. Uh -oh. people get nervous around people who kill people for a living. Apparently, but yes. I knew several people on the tour and they knew. So the word got around. And one day I came into the room and there was a body lying on my side of the bed <laughs> made out of towels. Oh my gosh, it was hilarious. I mean, there was a body lying there and it had two uh, caps off of water bottles for eyes. And they'd taken one of my t-shirts and made it a uh, swim trunks. And there is a towel body lying on the bed. Nobody hilarious. else got a body. I'm, I got the only body. There you go. That's um, fantastic. So. Susan, this is fantastic. Um, I know everybody loved hearing this, and I'm sure it's gotten a lot of people interested in wanting to go to Egypt. So I get a lot of people asking me to take them to Egypt, and I just try to remind them, though, that it's, you know, it's fantastic, but it is very hot, and it is a bit challenging terrain. I mean, you know, it is. It a, is. It is. And it is a totally different society. We yes. One of, I knew this since we've been so many times, but part of the paperwork that was given to us for the tour was instructions on how to dress yeah i mean you have to be modest definitely no short shorts now i wore knee knockers and there's definitely two uh dress codes there one for natives and one for tourists and the tourist is not all that restricted i usually wear polo shirts you know with a little collar and it opens down to here yeah elbow leg sleeves i mean if for a while you were not supposed to show your elbows but i look at it this way if somebody gets excited about my 70 odd year old elbows that's their problem not 
and and knee <gasps> you know, that come to the middle of or cover the knee and that gets along just fine there is yeah. a story which is not apocryphal it is a true story about two australian tourists who went to the valley of the kings in bikinis itty bitty bikinis and they couldn't understand why people were getting upset because well it's hot and we want to tan no but it didn't penetrate that this is a graveyard and you have to show at least minimum respect exactly now on the boat things were a lot more relaxed I, I didn't see anybody on the boat in a bikini but they wore bathing suits but you know we're on the boat we're in a encapsulated society there is a swimming pool for heaven's sake right yeah i think that's an important point i mean i went to uh dubai a few years ago in 2020 mm -hmm. before it all got shut down and i went to the holy land and i know you've been to the holy land as well yeah. i mean you you do you just have to think about just cover it up you have you to know it's not that difficult you have to be respectful yeah it's and like going to someone's house for dinner you're not at your place so just respect mm -hmm. the people and just be nice you know and most of them do cut tourists some slack like knee knockers instead of a full-length dress right but uh Absolutely. some some tourists and they aren't all american some tourists just make me cringe it you know i'm sorry we're from the same species yeah i think but, the other thing when you're in those hot environments so it's it is more helpful if you have long sleeves and some pants on because mm -hmm. it's hot as hades out there and you don't want to get burned anyway and yeah. it actually keeps you cooler to have some cover you know, something on, on your skin you know yeah. so anyway but it was it's marvelous and the egyptian people are so wonderful and so yeah. kind and so giving i know i was on my cane most of the time and the only flat surface in egypt is a tabletop and not always there so you're walking over rough ground and occasionally i'd meet a step where i was struggling instantly somebody would offer me an arm or you know put their arms on my shoulders and you know i didn't even have to ask they were just there and then they melted away as soon as i said thank you it's yeah. just they're there really um, nice people uh case in point the flight from uh frankfurt into cairo we landed late at night and we've been flying for days and days and days and my legs just weren't working well and of course like on most middle eastern flights you land out in the middle of the field and they send a bus after you and i made it down the air stairs but getting on the bus i missed the step mm. and made a perfect flying one point landing right on my derriere i mean wow. it still hurts over a month later it still hurts i had not had a chance to bounce before three arabic men who'd been on the flight with me swooped in and just picked me up and you know that's that's a physical feat to pick me up and put me on my feet and patted me and made sure are you all right you know and then melted away just such kindness yeah they're really sweet i'm still friends with my tour guide from egypt now even to this day so they're just great oh. people once you have an Egyptian for a friend, you have an Egyptian for a friend forever. For life. Yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. Yeah. So and I just want to talk for one minute about 
the feeling there. Yes. And I am not one of these woo-woo people. I'm pretty much grounded in, I know you are, and I love you because of it, but I'm pretty much grounded in concrete. <laughs> but in Egypt, and I'm a writer and I can't come up with the words, but in Egypt, I have never felt alone. I walk with others. Now, whether they're other Egyptians or other gods or whatever, but I've never felt alone there. Yeah. I have felt miserably alone in other countries, even when I'm standing cheek and jowl next to other people, but never in Egypt. There's a, a warmth and a welcome and a sense of homecoming. And of course, the attitude of the Egyptian people helps. The, my fascination with Egypt helps, but there's, thing, there's something there beyond that. And I don't know what it is, and I can't put words to it, but I know it exists. Just like I know thunder exists. I can't explain it, but it's there. It's just speaking to your soul, you know? Yes. It is something inside myself, but also outside myself. It is a, I don't know. I don't know what it is, but when the lucky ones will go to Egypt and feel it. My mother went to Egypt, absolutely nothing. I mean, nothing. she enjoyed it. She said, oh, I've read about this. And you know, she had a fun tourist time, but there, her soul was not touched. Mm. That's interesting. That That is what is so fascinating, though, anywhere you go in the world, because you just don't know how you're going to react. And there's certain right. places that touch your soul. And then other places, it's like, well, that was interesting. I've seen it. You know, it was very interesting. I like the so-and-so, the so-and-so, and the so-and-so. I learned a lot. But it it doesn't get past your skin. Right. Pretty interesting. It's in your soul, girl. Yep. That's why you keep going back. True. For more and more yeah we're Speaking playing more kids months. do you want more there's yeah. so much more yeah. susan has tons of incredible books and she writes them about egypt she's got all kinds of books and things that you're going to love so what are your two you have at least two websites now so tell us what your website no, i have one website oh you now have one okay. see i write i'm a crowd all by myself I write romance as Janice Susan May. I write horror as J.S. May. I write traditional cozy mystery as Janice Patterson. I write children's as Janice Susan Patterson. And I write scholarly and nonfiction as J.S.M. Patterson. I always ask people, which one of me do you want to talk to? <laughs> but for some, I mean, I mean no, no secret of fact that I am all these people. This is just a branding thing. I want right. somebody who wants a sweet romance not to pick up a J.S. May because they'll get their pants scared off of them. Vice versa, if a mystery reader picks up a Janice Susan May, they will be cloyed because it's sweet romance. It's, you know, I would love it if everybody read all of my books, but I know people have prejudices and they have preferences. So that's a, a way of making sure they get what they want. Yeah. So is the website now Janice Susan May? Uh, there's, there's two names, Janice Susan May Author .com or 
JanicePattersonMysteries.com. And that's J-A-N-I-S. I'm not an I-C-E. I'm an I-S. We will have these links below. <laughs> good, um. good. Uh, the Egyptian books are The Egyptian File, which is a modern romantic adventure, which is great fun. Uh, Passion's Choice, which is my one naughty book. It's a time travel back to the time. Um, it starts out with a young American tourist going to the temple of Der Ilbari at the time they're reconstructing it. And she is knocked over the uh, railing. But when she lands, they are actually constructing it in the time of Hatshepsut. Wow. And she is the uh, American coloration, the blonde hair and the blue eyes. But other than that, she is the exact twin of Nefertiti, of uh, Hatshepsut's daughter, Neferi. And of course, Tutmosis is running around, and so is Senenmut, and it turns into a nice broth of political intrigue and sex. Yay! <laughs> then it's there everything is, everyone wants. Yes. And then there is a killing at El Cobb. Yeah, excellent book. Thank you, which is my personal favorite because uh, we were invited, my husband and I were invited to come stay at the dig house at El Cobb Excavations by the director of the Brazilian, of the, I can't remember his title. His name was Dirk Hugh. He passed away about three years ago. It was a great loss, but he wanted a book written about El Cobb and the dig house, the Belgian mission to the Belgian archeological mission to the El Cobb excavations. He was the director. And most people don't know that tourists never, ever get invited to stay at dig houses. He had to go through four levels of Egyptian bureaucracy to get us to come. We stayed for four days. It was magical. We had run of the place and El Cobb if you count the modern village that has migrated about a mile away from the uh, current dig site, has been occupied since Stone Age to current. Wow. Every, every single age is represented there. That's incredible. And he invited us to come stay. And that was one of my, that because of that, that was my favorite. Yeah, it's a great book. I love it. And yeah, it's because, again, you've been there. You've definitely been there, done that. Uh, when you Funny write about story. Egypt, there's no doubt about it. Funny story. We were on the boat one day. It was dinner time, And we were, you know, we tried to sit with different people every day. And this lovely lady named Lee, who's a Brit, was talking about how she was an archaeological uh, epigrapher. And she mentioned something about El Cobb. And I said, oh, I've been to El Cobb. And we started exchanging things. And she said, there's a book you should read. It's called A Killing at El Cobb. And I don't know who wrote it, but I think whoever it is has been there. And I said, and she went, who wrote it? She said, I love that book. And I started to breathe again because you always hate to say that. Well, I wrote that book. Well, that's about your crap. Why'd you waste your time? But uh, <laughs> that is incredible. She, she just uh, about the book. 
Wow, she was recommending your book to you. Wow, because she oh. knew that you would love it. Well, guess what? You do. That's great. That is hilarious. See, I knew it had to be written by somebody who'd been there because it was just spot on. Yeah, it definitely is that. Yeah. Susan, you're amazing. Um, this has been a ton of fun just hearing about all this. I want to go back. I don't know when that's going to happen, but um, I will look forward to going back to Egypt. And all of us are going to look forward to your next adventures and your new books coming out. And we'll have the links below. Thank you. Kids, Thank you. I want you to check out Susan's books. I want you to continue. Yeah, this is a travel conversation. So check out different TV shows. Check out, you know, your friends. Where do they go on vacation? That's how you start to find out about your past lives. And who and knows, maybe you, yeah, you'll find thing. the place that is resonating with your soul, you know, just by getting out there and looking. And even if you we can't travel right now as much, maybe if that's your situation, that's okay too. You can still tap into those memories. Shelly, yeah. I need to tell you one more thing. In about six to eight months, your viewers, if they want a good Egyptian story, should look for a book called A First Class Killing, Mischief and Murder on the Nile. I was not going to write anything on this. I don't have a contract that needs to start up until January. So I was going to take three months off. Yeah. <laughs> I was there on the boat and I was writing my trip diary. And all of a sudden at the edge of my mind, all these people are banging on the edge of my mind going, let me in, let me in. And I had a book plotted in about 30 minutes. So Yay, I can't wait. It's a murder mystery on a Nile cruise boat. That sounds like a ton of fun. I hope it will be. It's it's shaping up to be very interesting. It's I can't surprising. wait. I'm about 10,000 words in, and it has surprised me. Wow. That sounds like a good setting. Everyone will enjoy. Good. Thank so. you so much for letting me come and play in your yard. I enjoyed. I get to relive my trip, and I talk to a friend. What gets better? It has been a ton of fun. I love to hear about it. And I love to hear your stories. You are hilarious and amazing and incredible. So Thank friends, you. I highly recommend her books and everything about my friend Susan is amazing. So check it out. We've got the links below and I'll see you on the next episode of Healing Arts. Guess what? I've got a new book coming out July 8th called Journeys Through the Akashic Records. In this book, I will share tons of guided journeys that you can take to access multidimensional realms where you can find the answers to all of the big questions in your life. We, of course, will have past life regressions. We will have finding our soul groups, understanding our soul purpose, doing soul retrievals. Um, there's a journey called Before You Arrived, where you can find out the plan you made shortly before your current life began, and tons and tons more information. This is the first time ever that I have compiled some of the super secret stuff that I've been doing with my clients for 20 years. And I really want you to get a copy of my book. It's coming out July 8th, but you can pre-order it now and I'll leave the links below. So thanks in advance and stay tuned for tons of um, exciting events, uh, release parties and all kinds of stuff coming up as July 8th gets closer. 
So have a great day and enjoy Journeys Through the Akashic Records. You've been listening to Healing Arts with Dr. Shelley Kerr. Visit me online at pastlifelady.com or on YouTube at Past Life Lady or connect with me on Facebook at Past Life Lady.